It's the document of one man's 10-year obsession with finding the identity of a soulful singer featured on a forgotten record. The artist and reggae collector turned vinyl detective travels from Toronto to L.A. and even to the legendary recording studios of Kingston, Jamaica, all in search of a singer with a haunting voice. It's a film about the power of music, memory, and obsessive drive of collecting. It's Shell a Record, a reggae mystery, and it's a new episode of the Hornpod Film Club. This record here is the most incredible piece of music I've ever heard. The singer's voice is so unusual, it's so haunting, and I've become so obsessed with her, but I don't know anything about her or who she is. Imagine finding a Nina Simone, a Billie Holiday, or an Amy Winehouse, but you're the only one who's ever heard her. All I know is she's somebody called Shella Record. I don't care if you like reggae or not. If it doesn't make you feel something, you might just want to check you've still got a pulse. It's the Hornbot Film Club. Yay! I'm JJ Loy. And me, I'm Matt Wixon. Uh, so yeah, I know <laughs> that we said at the end of the last episode that we were going to do the uh, classic ska concert film dance craze, mm. but we have to kind of postpone that a little because we're, we're hoping to get our hands on uh, a copy of the DVD before we review it. We want to see the upscaled 4K version. And the bonus features and everything that comes with it. Yeah, and it's just taken a while to get to us. I'm so excited <laughs> about the package, and I, allegedly we're getting something. We're <laughs> JJ gave my mailing address to the British Film Institute, which is gnarly to me. <laughs> we're hoping to 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 screen it proper, and so yeah, we're gonna push that back a little while, and and so we were kind of scrambling. What should we do next? Mm. And uh, I kind of suggested, and then Matt insisted that we do this this new documentary, Shella Record. And uh, so, yeah, we're, we're going to also do kind of a bit of a format change. Normally, we invite a guest and we kind of watch a movie and review it. But tonight, we're actually going to be joined by the filmmaker himself, Chris Flanagan. Welcome to HornPod. Welcome to the film club. <laughs> yeah, thank you and welcome. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, yeah, let me just say first, Chris, I'm glad that we're talking. I'm just glad that I'm glad that I got to meet you because like watching this film, watching this this document of like this whole journey that you've taken. I was like, God, man, this, this is a guy like me. <laughs> this is, this is absolutely <laughs> something I would do. And the specifics of your journey are, are like, if I had heard this song that sent you on this journey, uh, I would want to go on this journey too, because it's an incredible song. And I don't know, like you must be introducing this song to people through this film. And I think that that alone is incredible. And I'm just very excited about all of this. I'm sorry for being so long with it. No, it's great, man. Thank you. I mean, yeah, the whole impetus <laughs> for this project was I'm listening to one of the most incredible tracks I've ever heard. Surely there's more of this person's music out there. Surely other people know more about it than I do. But discovering pretty early on that that wasn't the case and going on this this quest, really, it's it's been really nice to share this music with you know a lot of other people that didn't know it as well and people who had surprisingly equally enthralled and excited as I am and I, as I was the first time I heard the record. How long have you been, how did you get into collecting reggae or collecting vinyl in general? Yeah, I guess. so 
it started kind of after high school for me. Some of the first, and it was really through DJ culture. Okay. I started, some of the first records I started to buy were like, you know, drum and bass, stuff like that. This is like Australia in the late 90s. I hadn't really sure. been exposed to reggae in any way. It was more like, you know, hip hop and okay. sort of moving into reg groove and stuff like that. Um, there's no Jamaican population to speak of in Australia, so I just wasn't really... <laughs> But um, there were some local DJs playing sort of, you know, 80s dance hall and stuff like that. Um, You know, your sister Nancy, Yellow Man, stuff like that. And that was kind of an entry point for me. And also some of those uh, those compilations from the era as well, because, you know, unlike Toronto, you weren't finding those kind of things. So it was really like reissues. And then as I started digging more and more, like I was into soul and funk and, and reg groove, as I say, so that was really kind of what I was digging for. And you would very rarely find a reggae record. Like it really didn't happen in Australia. And then sure. my partner, Emily, was visiting Australia, you know, many years ago. And um, I came to Canada to visit her and ended up living here. And yeah, when you're digging in Toronto, um, I don't know if you guys have been up here before, but you're finding a lot of reggae. Like you're finding a lot. Mm-hmm. And the city, you know, has some of Reggae, yeah, huge Jamaican yeah, population, massive, yeah, massive. and a lot of a lot of legends ended up yeah, there. Yeah. yeah, you know, you got your Jackie Matus, Lyra Sibbles, yeah, you know, yeah, Prince Buster was there. Prince Buster, yeah, Prince Buster was Buster in Toronto. Blake. I know he visited. I uh, I could be wrong. I thought he was living in Toronto towards the end of his life. Okay, if he did, that's a new one on me. But um, you know, the, I, I could be wrong. I very well could be wrong. Yeah, but it's just I mean, it's just kind of bottomless here. So you know, digging in Toronto you're going to find reggae. And that really sparked a much deeper interest and understanding in the music for me. At the time, to be honest, I really wasn't that deep into it. I mean, I liked it and I knew about it. I knew, you know, I knew a bunch of artists, but I wasn't as fanatical as I am now. And honestly, that that Shella record, that, that changed things a lot for me as well. That was kind of a, a deeper entry point. kind of the start of your reggae journey not just this this process this project i mean definitely part of a, a much deeper obsession understanding and also kind of personally life-changing in that it has sparked kind of a career change and life change in general. <laughs> you know the 10 years it took to make this thing it's like a bit of transition from being you know a visual artist which you know i still am but uh, to filmmaker, like I, I really didn't know what the hell I was doing when I started this and certainly wouldn't have considered myself a filmmaker. It sort of happened throughout the process and the naivety of, you know, starting this journey and making a film without really knowing what I was doing. I'm a little bit curious about like, how did, how did you go about like, what was the process like deciding to go from finding more about this song to making a feature length film? <laughs> And like, because, because that's kind of a, that is kind of a jump. And if you've never made a feature film before, 
I've never made a documentary film before. Like there are skills you either have to collect or find people that have. And so I'm kind of curious, like, what was that process? Like? Yeah, well, as I say, I went into it quite naively. And had I known more, maybe I wouldn't have actually done it. Just knowing the amount of work and, you know, difficulty <laughs> challenges that I would have had. Um, but, I mean, yeah. from like doing sculpture and installation, which is my background, like, I was often incorporating sound and music and even video and stuff. So, I mean, I just thought it was an interesting idea and really started out with just some friends and like a cheap camcorder, fairly low risk stuff, you know? So, um, sure. throughout the process, you know, I, I definitely had some help and mentoring from, uh, my friend, Matthew Bate, who's like a filmmaker and, uh, the executive producer on it. So he was a great guide throughout the process as well. And, you know, finally in the sort of post-production stages, I was able to um, secure some funding from some of the arts councils we have here in Canada to, you know, get a professional editor and stuff like that. But for the most part, it was kind of all coming out of my pocket. But, you know, I had a lot of friends who, you know, were very kind and, and, you know, filmed with me and, you know, did all these things or traded their labor for vinyl, you know, stuff like that. So that's kind of <laughs> how this, this was able to happen. So, yeah, because one of the questions I wanted to ask was like when you decided to be like the on camera kind of host of this, because, you don't, you know, sometimes when the, the filmmaker of the documentary starts being on camera, something's gone wrong with the documentary. But you can tell that like, <laughs> like, you, you've planned on it, you know, like from the ground up. So I, went, I wanted to know, like when you decided that you wanted to be kind of the subject of it. But I guess, I guess it's, it's deeper than that. You, you were already the subject. You were like, yeah, I don't think there's too many other ways it could have gone. I think very early on initially, like I, I, you know, I wasn't, I was thinking about, could this be done as just like interviews with people, but it really was such a personal journey and a personal obsession that it kind of only made sense that way. And I think also as like a white Australian filmmaker, I didn't want it to be like, this documentary about her um, more so it was about my search and obsession with this song. Right. It's the story you can tell because it's, it's your story. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's about his, his yeah. quest yeah. really. And your obsession. I like that you say obsession because I think well, that absolutely. that is like the, the impression that you get is that like at any point you could just kind of give up um, and be <laughs> like, Oh, hum, she's yeah. lost, you know? And and you really you really run down some threads. You go down. <laughs> oh yeah, you really follow some rabbit holes. You follow some peculiar leads. Well, I let's let's start with like how did you come to own this record and like what what else was on this? Because I don't think I was maybe it was my fault, but like was it just her music or was this like a compilation of random songs Yeah, it's a pretty weird compilation um it's a mix of local canadian reggae from the 70s and then a few bunny lee productions some really kind of off the wall strange psychedelic dub versions of bunny lee tracks and then some yeah. sort of quite meek and mild canadian reggae which is just recorded in <laughs> such a different way at the time and then yeah. that one track by Shella Record at the very last track of, I think it's Side B, which just comes out of nowhere and absolutely like grabs you by the ears. And it was like a $1 oh, purchase? 10 cents. 
No way. <laughs> yeah. There's no a ten a ten cent random kind of like compilation of mediocre slash bootleg release. Like because this song wasn't even supposed to be released, right? Well, no, I discovered through the course of this <laughs> that it, it never came out in Jamaica. So it only right. exists buried in this compilation on this right. record that I found like, with no jacket. Yeah, for 10 cents, let's say, which is... For 10 cool. cents, that sent you on this journey that ended up as a feature film. That's amazing. <laughs> There's a, there's a point in the doc where you try to go to the record shop owner who put put together this compilation, yes. right? That's You never quite nailed down what her hesitancy is in the film, but have you ever have you ever quite figured out, is it because it's a bootleg that she was so resistant yeah, to talk I, to you? I don't want to get too much into the, into the bootleg aspect. I think there are things I could have done to approach her in a different way. That would have, you know, maybe if I'd gone with like uh, friends who were who were closer with her, that might have had a better a better outcome. Yeah. So I mean, my intent with that scene, and that's you know, it's it's kind of comedic because that's the first time I think we see some of the, you know, that we have these figures. They're not quite shadow puppets, but they're these little uh, cardboard sort of silhouettes. Yeah. That they're they're actually puppets. They're not. It's not animation anyway. It's not even stop motion. It's literally. Yeah, these figures that are being moved in real time. So that's the first time we see me. They're great. They're absolutely great. It's so me, cool. me and Monica of Monica's Records, which is the label that put it out. So yeah, it's this kind of funny scene where basically she tells me that she doesn't want anything to do with it. Um, and yeah, I get with that. My intention is, you know, not to. It's more sort of poking fun at myself, really, as my naivety in approaching her as someone who is just kind of clueless. But there is that sense of mystery that, like, once you start poking, you get resistance. And you're like, it, I, there's, like, this, like, I don't know. There's, like, this feeling like you're on to something, yeah. you know? The, because the way that she she specifically talks to you is, like, it's not just, like, she's shutting you down. It almost seems like an ominous, like, some people leave <laughs> things buried for a reason. And it's like, don't go asking. Yeah, yeah. it's like it almost, it, it's like a, like almost like a pet cemetery warning or something. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely wanted to play on, play on some of these things, and you know, nothing is, nothing is contrived here. This all happened, but you know, obviously, we're gonna. Like, we're gonna well, like, what is going? Yeah. Like, what do you have any like worst case scenarios? Like, if I follow this, <laughs> am I going to get like? disappeared or something like what do you like how seriously do you take the hurt like this what seems to the the viewer at least this viewer, yeah yeah as like an ominous tone like how seriously do you take that yeah i mean it seems like a sort of it seems like a warning but um you know i didn't i certainly didn't take it as any sort of like you know real menacing threat you know sure yeah, sure yeah. <laughs> as disappointing an answer as that may be <laughs> 
Well, I was super intrigued after that moment. You know, I was I was down. I was like, oh, I want to know what is yeah, up. Yeah, that is you know? that is such it's such a good hook to have that early in the film because it's like, oh fuck, what is he gonna uncover here? Basically, I'm saying I might get disappeared if I say anymore. Mm. <laughs> That's the end of the podcast. <laughs> but so so you mentioned Bunny Lee. Bunny Lee is a part of this movie, which is incredible. Yeah. And he like he's he's like on board too. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he passed shortly after. He right? did, yeah. It's such a shame. He's such a great guy. Yeah, I uh, I did not realize that until I was looking in, into stuff today. Yeah, I feel very lucky to well to have known him and, and really you know we formed a friendship eventually. Um, sure, but yeah, Bunny like you know obviously he's really the only clue that I had in this. Right, because he's the only like really direct link. Yeah, anyway. yeah. Like, because initially I'm like, okay, is it a Canadian singer? Is she uh, Jamaican? But it did say produced by B. Lee on the record, on the on the Monica's Canadian record. So I knew I had to mm-hmm. track him down. And how I tracked him down was quite funny. Like, I found him in the Jamaican phone book and, like, all him <laughs> up. And it was just there under Edward O. Lee. And, you know, I'm, I'm at his house. Like, and it was just, it's just wild to me. Like, you looked up his personal number, not his no, studio his number? No, his personal number. that's crazy yeah because i was trying all my contacts to get a link for him nobody had it yeah and it's just like the guy was so incredibly generous and he opened so many doors for me he just constantly be like talk to ansel collins you know talk to elchina smith talk to all these people and it was just like talk to derek morgan it's just legend after legend on the phone (laughs) just thrust the phone in your face and like and he he gave you introductions absolutely and he like he he put people at their ease and he, he vouched for me for whatever reason. Like, yeah. Did you have any kind of like personal history with his music before, like much before getting yeah, into this definitely, story? Definitely. Okay. I mean, I was a huge, um, King Tubby fan and roots fan. I mean, Arthur that, that much is so obvious yeah, from yeah. this film. Yeah. Johnny Clark. <laughs> like, I mean, that's really some of my favorite era of reggae. So he's the Don, like he's. Yeah, for done. sure. Before you get in the film anyway, before you get to Bunny, you go to a record store and you play this record for some just some people, you know, somebody that works there. I think it's maybe just some customer. Oh, yeah. And you're, you're talking about it. You're like, do you know the name? And they're like, and you ask if you can play the record. They, they let you play the record. And there's a woman in the store. Her jaw drops. As soon as as soon as Sheila's voice comes out of the speaker, and I'm like, oh my god, they know too that like this is a really special song. Yeah, yeah. For special artists, Sheila Ricketts, because we know how to identify special people, and when we hear special people, we gotta speak about them. Okay, so Sheila, listen to me, man. You can't just have songs and give you one. So sometimes we know how the record thing go, you know. Yeah, because when you have a special sound, it's not easy for people to record you. You understand? Because they don't know what to do with your voice. Me, I know how to find you people, you know. So I know to dig you up through my spirit. We know you're alive because we didn't get any anything that you're not here. We know you're here, so we're gonna find you, man. Well, it's always really gratifying when other people hear that in the record that you're so excited about, right? And 
Some people don't. Some right. people are like, right. well, that's kind of off key. I really dig it. Like, I'm just like, are you right. like, But yeah. like when, when they are excited about the thing you're excited yes. about, like that's yeah. almost some kind of love language or something. It's yeah. like, oh, our, our souls are connecting on a level that like you don't just get every day. Oh, that's absolutely right true. And that's very well. Bunny Lee didn't release it, so he, I guess he didn't think it was remarkable. Well, right? at the time, for whatever reason, he didn't. Or he didn't think it was profitable, or, I mean, there's a lot of reasons you might not drop a song. You know, with whatever other thousand releases he was putting out that week, it got shelved, you know? Um, the guy was just so insanely prolific. Like, you know, he's a hit maker from Jamaica. Maybe whatever else he was doing that week, some other Johnny Clark or, you know, Cornell Campbell or whatever, just took precedent that week, you know? Um, but yeah, the scene you're talking about. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, that was so great because also none of this was planned, like showed up at Rockers International, like Augustus Pablo's record store and Jennifer Barrett, who was also a singer. That's the woman you're talking about there. She happened to be there okay. and that was just a reaction that happened. So, I mean, right. You know, Kingston is a pretty magical place and you learn pretty quickly that <laughs> there's just an energy there and like, in terms of the legends that walk among you, it's just that sort of stuff just happens. You know, you don't need to try to comply. Right, right. There's just a sense of dynamism. And people are, if you're into music, like people for the most part will give you the time of day. That's wonderful. Hmm. It's wonderful to hear, you know, what did you hear in this song when you first heard it? And like, what do you, what, what have you heard in the song since? Mm. It's one of those songs. I mean, for me, it's the song. It's it's a it's a <laughs> life changing and defining song. I mean, I'm a pretty serious record collector, and I like a lot of different genres. But that is an extremely special song for me. It was the vocal, and it was the first sort of opening wail in the track that really got me lyrically. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's extremely powerful. It's a song about slavery. Um, so there's that added pain and depth. It's also kind of genre bending because you have this person who doesn't quite sound like a reggae singer. It's kind of almost hip hoppy with the drums. Yeah, it is. It does almost have a little bit of boom bap. Yeah, it. yeah. And, you know, amazing horn section. So it's got a lot of different things going on. Um, it's one of those tracks that you can, or that I have, played tens of thousands of times and I'm not sick of it. So, you know, there's something, there's something there. It's, it's a very deep track. It's a very powerful track. And I think there's also just as much as I can try and articulate things about this, what this track has compelled me to do sort of speaks a lot more articulately about the power of this song than I ever could. And there is something intangible about that. Yeah. And, and as right. you, as you say, like, there is something about this song that makes people feel a certain way. And through making this film, I've discovered that I'm certainly not alone in feeling the power of this song and particularly this voice. Right. The, this, I mean, yes, everything you said about the opening whale, the, uh, the, the poetic way that she's putting all that. Yeah, of course. Yes. But what does it for me is as soon as she says African roots and the band mm. kicks in, it's just like, Goosebumps. This is just like, yeah, yeah. Brop. like I don't know. It's so yeah. It's good. also it's such a long <laughs> intro as well that she's really holding yes. attention uh-huh. and then earned. Yeah, yes. That drop is incredible. Like it. I I know that like Shirley Bassey came up as like a comparison mm-hmm. in the film, 
And like, cause that was the, in the very first thing I thought of as soon, like the first few notes of her voice, I was like, this sounds like Goldfinger. Like yeah. Yeah. all like so much of this song sounds like it's like a bond film and a, like a black, like an American black power soul song. Uh, like, yeah, it's I, I, Yeah, like yeah. it's like, and Bond film is I don't know a, a specific subgenre of jazz, I guess. But like, <laughs> oh, I mean, I think that's I think that you're absolutely right about that, and I think that is actually intentional. I mean, there's a there's a story that uh, are we saying her real name now? We got to that. Um, say what? Yeah, I mean, do you, would you like to include this? Like, sure. do we want yeah, to? I mean, I have, I have, I have said Sheila instead of Sheila. Yeah, yeah okay. So her name is Sheila Rickards. There's a misprint on the label. It turns out this singer's name is in fact Sheila Rickards, not Sheila Record. So there's a story about Sheila that she was, uh, she worked in the Bahamas doing sort of like cabaret at uh, at some of the the hotels in in Nassau. And uh, Shirley Bassey was, in fact, a, a guest at the hotel one night, and Sheila was performing on stage. Um, and Sheila was pregnant at the time. And apparently, Shirley Bassey was hitting on Sheila's husband, who was the piano player at the time. <laughs> and uh, apparently, wow. didn't stop. And apparently, <laughs> Sheila had enough at a certain point and stopped Shirley Bassey. So I wonder, this is, a big, this is a big sort of stretch of the imagination possibly, but this apparently made the newspaper. Um, I wonder if the band are almost gently kind of taking the piss with that in that city. <laughs> and like, oh, you, you think they're doing that, that like big brassy, yeah, I mean, like, it's literally bombast. Like yeah. I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. All these yeah. guys have amazing senses of humor. So <laughs> I wouldn't put it past them, but that's maybe I'm getting a little deep here, but that's a theory. No, that's, that's funny. That's exactly the kind of conversations we <laughs> have. <laughs> because I'm, I'm all for like, like defensible but like reasonably unfounded theories about things <laughs> like no like like I could I could back it up yeah yeah like, yeah I, nobody nobody else can but yeah, like yeah. there's there's a theory yeah. like it's thought out yeah <laughs> and like honestly that sounds that sounds sound to me so well, I don't know the first part the uh the swing at Shirley has been has been verified by a couple of people. <laughs> And that's not uh that's not the only wow. relatively fame that's not the only American star that she came in contact with in her life. No, either. I mean the thing kind of to know about Sheila is that she wasn't a reggae singer. Um, no, not at all. She was a jazz singer. She was kind of a like a like a cabaret singer almost, a, a sort of a jazz singer. Um, she'd do the hotels, right? Yeah, she did the hotels. She did. She did. She was, you know, performing with some of the the Scar guys before they were Scar. You know, she was performing with like your Lenny Hibbert, like Larry McDonald, um, you know, even like Don Drummond and stuff like that. Um, when she was like, you know, a teenager, she's her contemporaries are all a good like ten years older than her because she started so young. She was performing like for a high society crowd more than the Scott Ragged yeah. society. Although she didn't come from that world exactly. I mean, she came from Greenwich Town, which you know is a West Kingston neighborhood that you know 
it was different in her day, but still it was nothing upmarket by any stretch of the imagination. And, you know, her family was like a sure. well-renowned family in the neighborhood and definitely better off than some of the people in the community. But, um, yeah, she was certainly not, you know, this kind of uptown singer exactly, although she may have moved in those circles. Yeah, she was rubbing shoulders with, you know, Sam Cooke. I mean, like Louis Armstrong, all of these kind of people. Yeah, at a very young age, she was sort of slated to be a star, you know, not in reggae. Well, because one of the one of the leads that you kind of chased down was like the rumor that she went to L.A. with Sam Cooke to become a star. Mm -hmm. And obviously she did not become a star because if we this movie would have been easier, I think, on you if she was a famous person already. It would have been a five minute short. <laughs> yeah. So like that's 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 part of the mystery, too, is like, oh, yeah, I think she she went to L.A. to become a star and we don't know what happened to her when she. It, oh, I mean, you hear all of it like, oh, she ended up in New Orleans. She went to, you know, uh, Miami. Yeah, was one of them. There's a ton of cities that people. Yeah, yeah everywhere, everywhere. I mean, there was just so many different theories and even Australia. I mean. But the crazy thing right. is, there was, I was finding out like later on that there was a kernel of truth in almost all of these stories. <laughs> like she, she'd, she'd spent some time in each side. In each yeah, side. pretty much. Even Australia. Just oh. wild. <laughs> it would have been wild if I found her in like my hometown. You know, she's just standing there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what if like one day you were, you were there and uh, she was your cameraman and you're like, wait, how did you get here? <laughs> Strange things, you know, it's just like, this was, yeah, a very strange journey. I wanted to ask you something, and you don't have to, you don't have to include yeah. it. Uh, we, we can cut it out if you want, but uh, kind of a, a magic of filmmaking question. Mm -hmm. Did you really go to Jamaica not knowing what was there to be found? Or did you kind of confirm ahead of time that there was some footage some footage for me, for me? No. like 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 something worth shooting like i'm gonna if i go to jamaica i can film this with this person you ended up finding some gems and did you know ahead of time the only contact i had was bunny lee and i went with nothing else so many of those things the spontaneity of it is like pretty damn real yeah there's not a lot of contrivance in there you really did just you you went down there not knowing. Just kind of winged it. Yeah, I mean, this is again, the, na the naivety again. Like, if you were to talk to, like, you have a producer, <laughs> you know, they'll be like, fuck no. Like, you kind of go with, like, <laughs> no leads and, you know, expect to shoot. I guess that was the dubious part to me, was that, like, oh, you really just flew down there not knowing what you were going to find. And uh, and no, that is that's the true part. You yeah, really yeah. I mean, that, that Bunny <laughs> Lee like opened up all of those doors, and it's like once you're there. I mean, maybe I don't know if it's changed. I don't think it really has changed that much. Once you're there, a lot can happen very quickly. And once you have a connection like a Bunny Lee, like doors will open for you that you don't expect. Um, have you spoken at all to Heather Augustine, friend of the show and Scott researcher extraordinaire? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, Heather's great. I've never met her, but uh, yeah, we've been corresponding over the last, you know, few years. Um, she, she found some articles about Sheila, which was cool. Um, she mentions her in, uh, oh, cool. in her first book, I think. Oh, no, her, her book about songbirds, something like that, I think. Songbirds, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because when I saw you looking at the the copies of the Gleaner and stuff, I was like, oh, I bet that's exactly where Heather does her stuff. Because she she tells us, you know, looking through 
ads and obituaries and all that. I I love that research aspect. It's super fun. Yeah. 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 I find, I I think that would be the the hardest part about it, especially if you're on the time crunch of like, I have to, I have to leave at a certain day, you know? I mean, that's the other thing. They talk about like the contrivances of film and for sure there are like you will, if it was to show the exact chronology, it would be a very long and very boring film. But even like finding that ad in the one bound newspaper that they have from the seventies in the Gleaner archives, it's like, it's right there. Like that was, that happened you know, within the yeah. hour that I was at the Gleaner archives, you know? <laughs> uh, speaking of friends of the show, you got to hang out with Larry McDonald. We've interviewed Larry a couple times on the show. Yeah. Man. Uh, what was that? Was that like just hanging out with him? It looks like you were at his place. Yeah. Larry's the best. Um, and he also came to the, um, when we, when we screened at uh, doc NYC, he was there. So that was great. Um, you know, we ended up, yeah, I mean, I, I feel, you know, very honored that I was able to hang out with him. You know, he's a lovely guy. And then when he came to the, uh, to the premiere at uh, Doc NYC, you know, we ended up all hanging out and uh, shutting down the bar. So yeah, Larry's the best. <laughs> Have you discovered any other records from her? Yeah, she didn't record a lot. She did a she did a nice scar tune called "Say and Do" with Maple Toft Pool, who is like the guy that did the Jamaican national anthem. So it's like early sixties, super rare scar forty five, which uh, I paid a lot more than ten cents for. <laughs> That's cool. Say and do, oh baby, say and do. Please be true, oh baby, say and do. Let your action fit your word. It's the sweetest ever heard. Say and do, oh baby, say and do. And what else? Uh, I found some like recordings of her, like her jazz stuff. Um, from like the radio there yeah there's there's a cover of i don't know how to love him it's like a jesus christ superstar thing from like the mid 70s like none of these tracks sound anything like that though so that that track is a real huh. real anomaly that's wild so she was she was singing almost every night but but not recording, not recording so much yeah and you know by that time the scene okay. was really reggae so if you weren't doing that or if perhaps you moved to the states you know, which, which she did. She, she left the States in the sixties and only visited sort of intermittently. And that's when that song happened. Yeah. You weren't really, you weren't really making records like that. She was focusing on trying to, trying to have a career in the States. So, uh, this is a reggae mystery. Did you encounter any other reggae mysteries in your travels that you might want to run down in the future? (laughs) Like maybe a, a YouTube channel of reggae mystery? I mean, okay, so I, in terms of like this being life-changing, um, one of the things that was life-changing about it is that I put the record out. I started a, a record label to reissue it. Um, just because, again, it was like, surely more people need to hear this and know about it. Why, why is it me? And as I say in the film, you know, yep. a couple of record nerds in Toronto are the only people that know about this. So, yeah, I started the record label, Shella Records, named after Shella, of course, to uh, to basically spread the music. Um, again, very naive about what I was doing. Uh, again, Bunny Lee had a hand in that and, you know, was I was able to come to a deal with him that, you know, worked for me. Um, and I, you know, put this record up um, without having any distribution and just putting it out of my house in Toronto. Luckily, 
Giles Peterson played it on the radio and then people came to me. But since then, um, yeah, I've been putting out other records and there's been more minor reggae mysteries on just about every one of those in terms of trying to find the artist, trying to find the producer. Some of them focus on local Toronto releases. Um, The second one was a guy called Rotterdam, who I was eventually able to track down. And, And part of what I do, which you know, seems obvious, but not everybody does, um, is try to track down the artist and make sure they get paid. Uh, A lot of people just track down the producer and given that the producer probably didn't pay them anything back in the day, (laughs) that's just how it was. Um, And they probably didn't make much of it either. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of ongoing mysteries and a lot of fun, you know, researching these things. Because I have to say that like after a mystery like Shella. It's it's kind of hard to go back to normal life. I always had an excuse to be like traveling and uh, you know turning a turning a holiday into some sort of research adventure. Yeah, my partner Emily has just come home, so she knows all about that. <laughs> <laughs> Is it the kind of documentary you'd want to make again, or 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 would something like shorter and I don't know. I guess I guess I'm asking, have you learned something from the format? Like, do you like it or do you hate well, it? Well, I actually, well, okay. What I've learned is that I don't want to do it all myself anymore. I want to collaborate with people. Um, <laughs> ideally, mm-hmm. it would be nice if there was enough money to make a film <laughs> when the, when you when you start out. Um, so I have been very lucky in that uh, while I was making this film, I collaborated with a friend, Graham Matheson on a film about Stranger Cole and his time in Toronto. So we actually made this, we filmed it in one afternoon in Kensington Market, which is a neighborhood here where he used to run a store and a record label. And uh, supposedly the first Caribbean business in the neighborhood um, in the, I guess, mid seventies. And so that film, you know, we just made it to make it um, with no budget whatsoever, but He's a great camera guy, um, had all the gear and is also a great editor. And we, yeah, we made this film together and we got it into the Hot Dogs Film Festival while I was still making Shella. So we actually put out this short before that. Much sort of higher production values. Again, very sort of record-centric hmm. and somewhat guerrilla. Um, but uh, since then, uh, me and Graham have collaborated on a series um, about reggae history in Toronto and some of those names I mentioned, Leroy Sibbles, um, Nana McLean, Johnny Osborne, the Scarheads, Roy Panton and Yvonne Harrison um, are also up here. Um, yeah, so we've shot all of those and are just in the editing stage right now. So yeah, I've sort of... I was hoping you were going to say something like that. That's yeah, so exciting. That's great. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's <laughs> with the National Film Board of Canada, who are also fantastic. Um so it's been really good. So you know for sure that I'm wrong about Prince Buster is what you're saying. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> but I mean, I, I don't know. I certainly don't claim to be the world's expert on this. There is bottomless history about even reggae in Toronto that I would never hope to know. If time you talk to some of the elders, they might be, oh yeah, Buster was here. Like, you know, you never know. No, I, I'll, I'll, I'll just take the L. That's fine. You, you stabbed him earlier, <laughs> and then Matt just pulled out the knife, and all the blood just came. I'm out. like, you know what? I just, I just want to make sure <laughs> that we all, we all witness what happened here. Man, shout out Canada for supporting the arts. For real. 
I like, I think that's so yeah, cool. That's not such a thing in the States. There's a lot more like private endowments, like from families, but uh, yeah, not so much arts funding. Like this is, this is going to be on like the utter opposite end of the scope of what our podcast is from this conversation. But uh, like very long ago, I made friends with uh, the now punk band, but early on they were a ska punk band, the Flatliners who are from Toronto. Okay. And uh, they're, they've self-produced their first album and it later got re-released on Fat Records, big American punk label. Um, and like, I remember talking to them and they were like, yeah, uh, like the government paid for this whole record. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> Canada's wild. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, definitely, it's definitely a good thing. It's, uh, you know, it's dwindling. There's definitely conservative governments that would like to trim all the fat from this, uh, you know, wasteful culture and art and useless things like that. People want to make Canada more American yeah. again. Yeah, yeah we could. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, you, you followed, you went to a psychic. And again, that was one of the things that I couldn't film. And to be honest, almost all of the LA, almost all of the LA sequence, when me and Sonia were like cutting this thing together, we were like, hmm, LA is like the weakest link in many ways because nothing right. happens that really, you know, it's not like you're following these real leads. It's like it's dead end after dead end. Um, but it actually became in the making of it one of my favorite um, chapters because. I was forced to do so many kind of odd creative things to make it work. You know, there's, there's, Wait, you're, you're, cha you're chasing down some like vague name. Yeah. I mean, that's real given to you by a psychic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, I was like, and, how can and, I make this work? I've got to add more odd kind of art elements to make this work. And yeah. right. Where there, were there other, what other leads did you get that weren't included? Cause like, I feel like this, this, this must have been close to being cut because, well, I guess maybe not because it did lead to other stuff, but like it, it, it doesn't lead. It doesn't lead that far because yeah. it's a psychic. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, that that uh, desperation like, that you're seeing that is real. I mean, like that was the last right. night. That, I, was fucking <laughs> like, I was just like, I just spent all of my own money, you know, <laughs> on this total red herring. Oh, as it turns out, not a total red herring. She was there. I don't know why there was no evidence of that. But um, <laughs> anyway. um, yeah, and it just felt like, oh, my God, this is just a complete waste of time. Again, when, when you know, the other, the other sort of supernatural element. I love, like, you had to have known, like, the odds of this psychic paying off are pretty slim. <laughs> no, I, I, didn't, I didn't necessarily think I was. I mean, honestly, I was getting very desperate. I knew it might be like, interesting to film. You're like, you know what? Yeah. I know who's. I know who knows unknowable things. That psychic over there. <laughs> like, I, I'm sure. Like, that wasn't like a aha moment. Like, it was a. It's like, a, well, see if this, because, and I love that you're open to that, because I don't think you did it as a lark. I really think you did it with like an openness, like, well, I, we'll see what, we'll see what happens. Could possibly have led to something, and also, I mean, again, maybe this is saying too much, but you know, 
the PI who I who I was able to enlist and shout out to to Lyle Sharman in the end also has some has some supernatural uh, talent as well. So <laughs> you know I I can't I can't knock any of this. You know, like all there's just a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of quirk around a lot of like there's a lot of quirk around a lot of characters here. Yeah, and definitely. it just really makes for a fun story but also like having seen these sort of supernatural elements um sort of being a recurring theme that was kind of unplanned that sort of formed some of the structure in terms of you know the the concept of like you know jamaican duppies ghosts and that kind of thing and weaving that into the story as well but that's sort of i mean it's stuff i'm you know interested in um but it suggested itself without me having to seek it out you know and and you just let it come out yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think that's really cool and like i also like the choice to leave some of it in because it's it's weird it's it's weird i'm not gonna lie to you it's weird <laughs> and i love weird so i'm it's definitely not a judgment uh it's 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 weird and like a certain like i think a different filmmaker would have been like well, I'm going to go to a psychic, but like, if it doesn't lead anywhere, I'm not leaving it in the fucking movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is all kind of an extension of my art practice and like, I'm a bit of a weirdo. Right. So if I'm going to make a film, it's going to reflect that, you know? Well, it absolutely yeah. does. And, and the puppetry and all of that too, makes this such a real, it's just such a cool film and it doesn't, it's yeah. not, it's not just, it's not dry. Like a documentary can be, it doesn't feel like school it's like <laughs> a very fun it's like a really fun like there's a lot of like tension because like you i really didn't know where this was going to end up i could tell like you made this whole somebody went through the the effort of editing this so obviously this is going somewhere worthwhile but like you really don't know where it's going to end up and it ends up somewhere really cool but like yeah the whole the whole thing the whole thing. It's kind of like a dream too, because I I I've loved reggae music. I love ska and mento. I love going further and further back. And sometimes I'll hit on these things that are just like, uh, I, I I've got the, I I won't I won't I won't take us down the roads. So, but I have things <laughs> that like are are yeah, mysteries yeah, yeah, yeah. to me. And and I've never been able to properly run down those mysteries and they they will remain a mystery yeah. to me probably until, until I meet the right person that I think to bring it up to. Yeah. But, um, you, you just like had this like single minded, uh, like, like you say obsession, like you just like really didn't let go. And, and, and what you get is a really great story out of it. And I, I, I commend you. I think, I think it's just fantastic. What Thank you, you. I mean, yeah, there's really nothing rational about, <laughs> <laughs> that day that I spent it was definitely obsessive. It was definitely, you know, I felt compelled to do this. But, you know, yeah, there was something going on that made me do that. And really that was that was Sheila's voice. So yeah, it's I just feel a little bit like the instrument there to yeah, to sort of bring bring some more attention to it. I I feel like in a in a way this is kind of like a victory story for a, a record obsessive. Cause like this, yeah. is, this is like this is this this is kind of like like JJ said like this is what like we all wish we could do for a, for like one <laughs> song or another. So like you're the guy that you're the guy that actually did it, man. <laughs> yeah, 
Well, yeah, what can I say? It's uh, It was a ridiculous <laughs> period and I'm incredibly glad it paid <laughs> off. And, you know, that was through the help of a lot of people and, you know, especially someone like Lyle who also did this pro bono, you know, um, the, the PI. So there's just a huge amount of support that I had. And, yeah, as I say, like the help that I had from all these different people to make this happen, it's certainly not just me. I was single-minded, but I had a lot of support and help along the way. And even from the friends I had who, you know, worked for for nothing on this or worked for records to, you know, all the people that helped for free to even the people that license stuff for next to nothing or for barter, you know, Bunny Lee. um, I, I ended up years ago, I met his son, Striker Lee Jr. And, uh, we met for the first time in a in a late night twenty four hour McDonald's in like North London um, with Bunny, and that was the first time I met his son. And when he heard like I was a sculptor, he was like, "Oh, that's cool! Like I want to do a, a bust of my dad." And uh, that's something. Oh. Yeah, I'll keep it under wraps for for a little bit, but um, yeah, I mean, I won't share any images or anything. But um, that ended up being my my payment, my license of all of this incredible music from Bunny Lee was that I, I made this sculpture, um, which, you know, as in the process of making that, you know, he passed away. So that was obviously a very sad thing and also added a huge amount of pressure to this thing because now this is sort of this legacy piece. Um, so, yeah, right. that's something that has recently been completed and is going to be in in the uh museum that striker jr is putting together in uh in the old studio which has been totally refurbished since the fire that you'll see in the film and uh has all sorts of great artifacts so yeah they're gonna that's gonna be open to the public um hopefully later this year nice very cool now that we're Chris Flanagan, thank you so much for being on our show. Uh, I think this is great. I'm really glad we got to watch your movie, and I'm really glad we got to talk to you about it. Thank you so much. I, I did not think this this ska podcast turned film club was going to end up with an actual filmmaker on it so soon. <laughs> okay, nice. Uh, and I'm and I'm really excited about how it went, and yeah. it was very nice to meet you. I no, I appreciate that. It's it's always like again, I did this without really any notion of what I was doing, so. The fact that people are uh-huh. seeing it and appreciating it and the guys like you, you know, want to talk to me about the film, I, I really appreciate that. So, yeah, thanks to everyone that's that's checking it out and has heard the song and is supporting it. I really appreciate you guys. 
Um, I'd also just like to um, point people to where they can see the film. Sure. Oh, absolutely. It's recently been bootlegged, so <laughs> I, I guess that's a sort of flattery. Should I not have done that? <laughs> no, you're just sharing it. It's fine. Um, Damn it, JJ. <laughs> Oops. We got to stop pirating the arts of our guests. I would appreciate if you want to check it out, you go to www.shellarecords.com. You can see it everywhere except Amazon. It's fuck them. And uh, mm. yeah, <laughs> I, I put some money into this. So it's, I get like a, a, a tiny trickle back. I, you know, I definitely appreciate that. And you can also buy the record there um, and check out the other releases. Oh, you know what? Do you, do you have a sense of which, like which way to purchase or rent the film makes you personally the most money Yes, or whoever is making money from yeah, this yeah, makes yeah. the most money? Yeah. Thanks for asking. Um, Vimeo is better for me. Okay. So I should not have gotten it on. I, I bought it on YouTube, but I bought it. It didn't. I didn't. Rent that's great. It. Look, if anyone's buying it, that's great. If you're avoiding the torrent sites, which I've now alerted everybody to. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I bought it because I had the feeling like I'm going to want to show this to somebody. And I absolutely am going to want to show it to somebody. Awesome. Appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. Vimeo is best for me, but any any like legal medium is much appreciated. Okay, really appreciate you guys. Thanks for everything. And yeah, stay in touch. Have a great night. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Thank you, sir. All right. So I guess it's kind of awkward that we had to kind of kick out the filmmaker because we're going to totally rip this thing apart in a segment we call Scott Cannon. The Scott Cannon is a segment where we, a podcast film club, look at its musical and cultural impact and decide whether or not Shella Record is essential viewing for all ska people everywhere. Well, yeah, man. I mean, it's definitely not a ska movie, but I definitely get kindred reggae collector spirit vibes from from our man here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, he's, I mean, clearly of our people. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, he's, he, he probably should be listening to our podcast, to be honest. He seems like he seems like the type that should listen to our podcast. <laughs> well, maybe we got a new listener. <laughs> yeah, and the story is is a story about like I like I said earlier, like it's about like a success story for like that real serious like reggae nerd or whatever collector. Yeah. That said, it's not a ska movie. <laughs> but well, I but, wanted this to well, be a ska and reggae film club, but yeah. We're talking, yeah. I tell you, I'm inclined to to say yes because I I I think it is aspirational for anybody that wants to to do the thing that we do, which is get historical about this music and try to connect to that generation that came before us uh, and made this music. You know, and I I I don't know. I I. It's the same thing that made you and I like pick up microphones and interview guys we like, you know. Um, but uh, I think on a, on a much higher scale and a much riskier scale too. Uh, you know, this guy, this guy put it all on the line without uh, without knowing what he was really even getting into. He's he's sort of like the the Richard Linklater of of <laughs> reggae fandom. He's like the he's like the I, slacker that could. 
I, I think I think it's it's it, what he did is better than starting a zine. It's better than starting a podcast. It's 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 taking reggae fanship to to uh, a, a super level, and and I think that's something to to be seen by by our kids. And if it takes putting it into the to the canon to get even more people seeing it right now, I'm I'm all for it. I think yeah, I think this what? is something. You know what? <laughs> something to be seen. I think. Uh... <laughs> this like what the the work that went into making this like the research and all of that like all of it is like i feel like basically on par with how like any of heather's books i i i know she does a whole lot of research but like it's the same yeah. kind of kind of project you know uh yeah. where it's like man i and and i don't like she, heather is a writer she's a journalist she's an author but it's like, it, what do you have that you can bring to, to ska to reggae, uh-huh. with your skills, and your passion? Uh-huh, yes. And yeah. So she has an absolute passion for this music, and she brings her skill of writing to write these books, and her passion leads her research, and the research makes the books incredible. And the same thing with this guy, like he's a visual artist. You can't make. I mean, I guess you could make a sculpt a sculpture about this song, but like, there's there's so much you could tell a story about this song instead. And the visual artist yeah. way of telling a story is like probably a film. And so, like, so and again, it's his passion. It's not like anybody's like this is going to be profitable. This is like this is where the market's at. We need a documentary about an obscure reggae song. Uh, it's like his passion and his own wallet that are like driving him towards something and the results like we all get to benefit from. And right. So in that sense, yeah, I think I think this might be worth it. This is this is like this is the same kind of project. He's 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 putting in he's contributing where he can and what he's contributing is great. All right. So uh so we're we're both on board for for socking this thing into the cannon. Hell yeah! All right. I'm glad he's not here to hear this kiss ass. But hell yeah! <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, great <laughs> movie. So yeah, hi- highly highly recommended. If you are a collector of music, if you are a vinyl collector, if you are a reggae collector, if you are a reggae fan, if you're a music fan, if you've ever had that one song that's like, man. Like I've heard a lot of great songs, but there's something like otherworldly about that song. Like this is that kind of song. And like it just leads to this really, really cool, fun. It's there's suspense. Uh it's funny. Hell yeah. It's 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 really cool. You know, I recommend it. Yeah. Big recommend. Yeah. This concludes another episode of the Hornpod Film Club. We're going to be doing one film a month till we run out of these things to do. And for May, I'm pretty sure for May, I got my fingers crossed that we're going to get our hands on the copy of Dance Craze. And hopefully you will all be getting your copies of this re-release 4K upscaled edition. Um, And then we'll be all meeting back here next month to discuss... Oh, yeah, and to discuss, give us a call at 16HornPod15 with your thoughts. 
And uh, if you enjoyed this, I encourage you to check out our back catalog where Matt and I talk ska ad nauseum. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Matt. What are you thinking? I'm thinking you should definitely call that that hotline because I know you've seen Dance Craze. And if you haven't, you need to see it, and then you need to call. Because uh, I, I want to know what you thought about when you saw it the first time. Like, if it changed the way you thought about madness because you got to see madness or whatever. Give us a call. I really want to know because I know a lot of you have seen it. Other than that, thank you so much for listening. And be excellent to each other. (laughs) (laughs) Is that Jerry Springer? No. Bye, everybody. say that in a certain way and this is only relevant because i'm not australian in a if you look at this film and if you look at it this film in a certain way uh it's just about an australian man looking for a sheila oh god <laughs> i'm sorry thank you for staying in the bathroom <laughs> look i <laughs> I, I wrote it down and Usually I'm like, I'm the one that makes everybody groan. <laughs> I wrote it down and I'm, I'm like, I know this no, is I'm bad. Take it. Take I know it. that there's, I know that there's no graceful way to do this. Yeah, but I didn't start with this. It might have been a much shorter interview. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, it's a good one. I'll take it.